Testing. Testing. Are we recording? Okay, I think we are. Let's talk about some things that matter. Let's take some time to drift and hum. Hi, friends, and welcome to another Drift and Hum podcast. I'm Robert Martichenko, author of Drift and Hum, the great Canadian-American novel. We have a fun show for you today as we have an amazing interview with Brigitte Bouillard, director and founder of the Second Chance Wildlife Centre. In addition to our interview, there may be a story, some music, and possibly a poem along the way. So settle in wherever you are, get comfortable with your favourite drink, And let's take some time to talk about stories that matter. Let's take some time to drift in the hum. It's not every day you get to check off a bucket list item, in particular when the item is to go dog sledding in the Yukon Territory with your oldest daughter. A daughter-father duo with crossover interests, mine being the Yukon Territory and my daughter's being all things wolves, huskies, and dog sledding related. And so, time and opportunity presented itself and we took advantage of the presentation. A checklist on the bucket list. Check. It's hard for me to remember a time when I was not passionate about the Yukon Territory, the mountains, the Yukon River, the Klondike Gold Rush, the Chilkoot Trail, Lake Labarge, Whitehorse, Dawson City, the Alaskan Highway, and all things North, Gold Rush, and Snow related. My original copy of the Collected Poems of Robert Service has a handwritten date stating 1965, the year I was born. It was a gift from my mother to my father. My memorization and often ill-timed, random, and impromptu recitations of the cremation of Sam McGee are legendary in my own mind and perhaps in the minds of a few close friends, although probably for reasons different than my own. For my oldest daughter Emily, there has never been a time when she has not been driven and consumed by her passion for puppies, wolves, sled dogs, and dogs in general. Her first word was not mummy or daddy, but rather was Annie, our yellow Labrador at the time of her birth. Her first formal letter written when she was around nine years old was to admonish the governor's of the few north-central states that have dabbled with reinstituting the wolf hunt for purposes of managing competing needs and priorities of ranchers, national park officials, and overall ecosystems. Her favorite books growing up, and still to this day, include Jack London's Call of the Wild and White Fang, and how will I ever forget the time I took Emily to American Girl in Chicago, a proud father with a generous spirit, I told Emily to get whatever she wanted from the very well-stocked and strategically laid-out retail doll store. After an hour and a half of looking through the store's entirety, we left with only a small package, a package that contained a tiny stuffed husky dog with an attachment that resembled an original First Nations dog sled. On the way back to the hotel, Emily continued to check in with me to ensure she had not hurt my feelings by passing on the bitty baby or the look-alike doll with matching outfits. I was fine, as was my American Express card. And so, we were both very excited as we met in Toronto this past month, 
having traveled from work and school respectively, to travel again, this time together, to Vancouver and then on to Whitehorse, Yukon, for our bucket list week. And what a week it was. Flying into Whitehorse set the stage for the week. The airport is the perfect sized airport for a convenient hometown feel, and even though spring is around the corner, the snowbanks were of ideal size for an appropriate winter feel, and the blue sky seemed endless other than being interrupted by a bright yellow sun and the mountains in the never ending background. Upon checking into the White Horse Gold Rush Inn for our first night before heading to the ranch, we were not surprised to be greeted in the log cabin style lobby by a large, stuffed figurine RCMP Mountie in full dress, with the police officer being accompanied by a huge taxidermized moose head. As I was checking in, I looked over at Emily and we simply smiled the smile that spoke a thousand words. We had arrived. On the way to our room, we poked our head into the hotel restaurant slash saloon. Poutine on the menu, hockey and curling on the televisions. I love Canada, Emily whispered to me. The following morning, we were picked up at the hotel and chauffeured to our new home for the next four days, the Sky High Wilderness Ranch. 20 kilometers outside of Whitehorse, the Sky High Wilderness Ranch sits on a beautiful piece of land that borders the shores of Fish Lake. The ranch is off the grid. No power, no running water, no Wi-Fi, no cellular. Perfect. Emily and I shared a small log cabin with a set of bunk beds, a sink that drained into a pail, and a wood stove that could keep the cabin at 45 degrees Celsius, even though it was negative 20 outside. A pot of water sat fixed on the stove to offer hot water for washing, and act as a permanent humidifier. The pot was replenished daily with water from a 5-gallon plastic can. The ranch had a couple of these cabins and a small main lodge that was used for meals and housing other guests. In total, we were a varied crew of maybe 15 guests from all over the world five guides who would take us under their wing, and a total of 167 husky and husky mix sled dogs. Our four days of dog sledding were spectacular. We each had our own sled and bonded with the four dogs we were assigned to for our stay. We learned all things dog sledding. Lead dogs, wheel dogs, harnessing, sled brakes, hang on at all costs, and don't let the dogs get tangled. Each day seemed more spectacular than the last as the spring initiated blue sky and sun warmed our faces and the very bulky parkas and snow pants provided insulation to trap our natural heat and keep our bodies warm in the still winter temperatures. Breakfast and dinner were a team sport with each guest helping in the kitchen. For a breakfast treat on the last morning, I recited the cremation of Sam McGee for the European guests. I'm thinking they enjoyed it. I know I did. Sometimes I just can't help myself. One of our guides, a great guy named Paul, told me it was memorable. Paul would know too. He is from north of Yellowknife and told me that he comes south to Whitehorse, Yukon during the winter to get out of the cold. So much for needing Florida. Lunch each day was on the trail, surrounding a small campfire with the dogs using the time to have a well-earned rest. And while the days were amazing, the nights were equally fantastic. Even though we did not get to see a full show of the northern lights, we certainly did enjoy looking up to the clear, bright, and star-filled northern sky. The stars danced and twinkled as if they were truly diamonds in the sky. Let's face it, cold northern nights are in a league of their own. 
It's pretty hard to look down when the nighttime northern canopy is up above. Emily and I were both sincerely and infinitely sad when our departure day rolled around and we had to say goodbye to the ranch, our new friends, and most importantly, the dogs. In the end, I had to pull Emily away from the dogs, in particular her lead dog, Hurricane. Hurricane, at one point in his career, mushed the Iditarod and the Yukon Quest in the same year. Two 1,000-mile races back-to-back. Hurricane is the real deal. Yes, I had to literally tell Emily the ride back to Whitehorse was waiting for us. I just love Canada, Emily whispered as we watched the ranch fade into the rearview mirror. Landing back at the Whitehorse Gold Rush Inn, we woke up the next morning with things to do. Explore Whitehorse, a little souvenir shopping, lunch at Tim Hortons, and an interview with Dave White at CBC Radio Whitehorse. Emily was not surprised when Dave White came out to greet us wearing a Winnipeg's Jet hockey jersey. I just love Canada, she whispered to me. I love the CBC radio interview. The purpose was to talk about Drift and Hum and the upcoming reading that was scheduled for that evening at 7 p.m. at the Whitehorse Library. In addition to talking about Drift and Hum, which is too easy for me to do, I enjoyed the studio and sound booth. Radio is cool. Radio is universal. Radio will never go away. Evening rolled around and we walked the main street of Whitehorse and then followed the banks of the Yukon River for a nice, brisk, cold, refreshing stroll to the Whitehorse Library. Seven o'clock rolled around and I got to do my first Drift and Hum reading. Just me, Emily, the book, and five very nice people who came to hear about the adventures of the Beaver Brothers. Three of the five audience members were family of a close friend of mine from Timmins, my boyhood northern Ontario town. The meet and visit with my new friends resulted in an invite to their home for dinner the next night, a dinner that could not be beat. Thanks so much to Ken, May Lynn, and their amazing son, Jonathan. As well, a big thanks to Nora at the White Horse Library. It was great to read from Drift and Hum and recite the tale of the boys on their Yukon quest and their writing of the poem, A Day Well Spent, a poem written by the Beaver Brothers on the shores of Lake Labarge. Speaking of Lake Labarge, on our last day in Whitehorse, we spent the day in fresh powder surrounded by the mysteries of Sam McGee's final warm place. A guided day on the sled, Emily's first time at the throttle of a Canadian-made skidoo, guided by a very personable and interesting German named Thomas. Unsolicited, while around our lunch campfire overlooking Lake Labarge, he volunteered his advice to us. Career and money aren't everything, he offered and the trick is to figure that out as early as you can. Hmm, I thought to myself, as I stared out across my lake and imagined a derelict called the Alice May moored down below on the frozen shore. Well, as the saying goes, all good things must come to an end, and so did our time in Whitehorse. An early morning flight on Friday morning on Air North, Yukon's airline, took us back to Vancouver, where we spent the weekend. We walked Vancouver and enjoyed all the beauty of the city. Friday night, we took in the Vancouver Canucks hockey game. I just love Canada, Emily whispered to me as the Canucks got scored on again and a devoted Canucks fan behind us complained by exclaiming, what a shit show. Saturday was more spectacular sights, lunch, and a long time coming visit with a childhood friend from Timmins who has been in Vancouver for over 30 years. A big thanks to Steve for the hospitality. And, with time stopping for no person, 
With figurative and literal tears in our eyes, Emily and I said our goodbyes at the Vancouver airport early Sunday morning. Me taking a flight path through Chicago to Charleston and her heading back to Boston via Toronto. Thanks, Dad. I love Canada, are the words I remember her whispering to me as we separated towards different departure terminals of the airport. It was a bucket list checkmark, a remarkable trip, every minute of it. Time with Emily, time in the Yukon, time with the dogs, time looking up at the blue sky and the brilliant sun, sky and sun facilitating a transition from winter to spring, and time looking up at the pitch black sky, a sky deep dark black while also lit by a natural array of twinkling stars, each star playing a role in some cosmic, endless journey of hope, optimism, and wonder. The sun and the blue sky by day and the dark and brilliant nighttime sky by night, rendering it impossible for any caring person to look down. Take time, friends. Take time to enjoy the spring and the life that it brings to us, and take time to look up into the night, into the stars, into the wonder of hope and dreams. Take time, friends. Take time to drift and hum. In summertime, the stars will shine. The church bells always ring true. The ocean tide belongs to the moon, and the nighttime belongs to you. The trees will grow, the streams will flow, the mockingbird sings a tune. The sun belongs to the hot afternoon And the nighttime belongs to you A day well spent I'd really like to take a hike Around a lake I've never seen one without, a person about, so I could wonder while I dream. Then in time, perhaps I'd find some friends for company. We would talk and go for walks, many different lives we'd see. I can imagine meeting a badger. Together we'd burrow through her home to hear the sound of life underground, to feel happiness that she's known. A little warm den, which the family defends against any unfriendly passerby. Buried in winter, by branches that splinter, until spring when her young open their eyes. Then I'd stop, sit on a rock, to grab a little snack. Out of the woods would come the masked hoods of raccoons on their gentle attack. Sharing my lunch to learn a bunch about a bandit's unlawful ways. They'd want me to hang with the roving gang and outlaw the rest of my days. That afternoon, I'd swim with a loon. She'd introduce me to her mate. Surrounding the eggs she secretly laid, we'd worry about their fate. With no problem at all, I'd master the call to sing through the day's last light. Nature would listen as soft ripples glistened across the lake as the two took flight. As the sun went down, I'd look around for a soft place to spend the night. The dusk would smile with the music of the wild, entire worlds just beyond my sight. 
sitting by the fire, enjoying feeling tired, the crackling at my feet. To think again, I could meet a new friend and offer him a seat. In from the dark, with a high-pitched harp, would be the oldest, wisest owl. We talk of the world, the problems incurred, offer solutions with a quiet growl. I'd feel like a fool and ask where she schooled, a question she'd say she'd have to ponder. And the moment she'd leave, it would be easy to see there were many things left to wonder. After saying goodbye to the stars in the sky, I'd fall into a well-needed sleep, dreaming of places with rosy glowing faces. Around me, busy little beavers would eat, the moon sending its glare within the fresh air, my skin soaking it in for hours. The forest internal to life that's nocturnal, breezes showing off their powers. Just before dawn, I'd awake to a fawn, her mother, and dad the buck. In search of fresh leaves, we'd skip through the trees, ever grateful for our luck. Then in the sky, majestically flying by, an optimistic and peaceful bird, my heart would feel love with the sight of a dove and the message heard in its word. Yes, I think I'd like to take a hike around the lake I've never seen, one without a person about, so I could wonder while I dream. Maybe then, after meeting new friends, I would start to understand that the world belongs to everyone, and no one owns the land. The fox is out, he roams about. The squirrels climb high for a view. The forest belongs to the rambling raccoon, and the nighttime belongs to you. The bees will buzz, the river floods, grandmother's flowers are in bloom. Old man winter belongs in his tomb, and the nighttime belongs to you. Hi friends, before I go to the interview with Brigitte, I'd just like to set the stage a little bit. My friend and assistant, Marcia, sent me a link to a story of a lady who had rescued a small young beaver, and she called the beaver Justin Beaver. That was all I needed. After reading the story, I reached out to Brigitte and then made arrangements to go and interview her outside of Louisville, Kentucky, also where she works as the founder and builder of the Second Chance Wildlife Center. It's an amazing place, and she's an amazing person. So let's get to the interview so you can hear her story. Hi, Bridget, and thank you so much for inviting us to Second Chances Wildlife Center. It's just an absolute pleasure to be here today. And, you know, just to get us started, I'm just really curious. Tell me about Second Chances Wildlife Center and how you came to building it. Sure, absolutely. Well, glad you're here. Second Chances Wildlife Center is a grassroots nonprofit that provides rehabilitation and safe release to Kentucky's mammals. We also offer environmental education programs to our community, and those animals that are not quite healthy enough to survive on their own become our education ambassadors, and they go to schools and libraries and scout groups for programming. 
Wow. And when did you start the center? I started rehabbing in 2009 and quickly became incorporated as a 501c3 in January of 2010. Give us an idea of the kinds of animals that are here at the center. We take in any native mammal to Kentucky, which would include foxes, skunks, raccoons, beavers, groundhogs. Right now, we even have a baby armadillo. And we do a lot of rehabilitation of bats, which is probably the most important of all the animals that we rehabilitate. Very interesting. And the animals are coming to you from other people, so they're being rescued. And then what is the kind of series of events that would make an animal end up here at the center? Oh, people hunt me down. So when I first started this, I used to receive about 50 phone calls each year. And last year, I believe our number is close to 3,000. So people are indeed realizing that If they find an injured or orphan animal, they can call or email us and we can either accept that animal if it does need help or even better, we can educate the caller so they can do something with that animal that the animal can be reunited with its natural mother, which is always the best option. But sometimes that is just not an option. And in that case, then we have to take the animal. Wow, fantastic. And it must be such an incredible amount of work with everything that has a lot of work and rewarding work to it. There's rewards and challenges. So just give me a little bit of an idea of what some of the rewards are and also some of the challenges with them building a center that's really trying to give back like this. Sure. That's a great question. I would say one of the rewards and challenges could be combined in the same scenario. Some of the more critical cases that come in with injuries, whether it's due to getting hit by a car or having come in contact with lawn equipment, the more challenging ones that come in end up being the most rewarding cases because if it were not for our diligency and our medical treatment, these animals would not have a second chance at life. And to take an animal that comes in in such severe condition and be able to get them back out into the wild is is pretty amazing, and it makes our daily routine worthwhile. Fantastic, and I'm sure you've got an incredible amount of stories, but do you have a particular favorite story if you had to choose one? Oh, a favorite story. I guess it's a combination of being funny and one of those critical cases that came in, but There was an adult groundhog that came in about four years ago, and the person that found this groundhog went to two different veterinarian offices trying to seek assistance. The first veterinarian said to just put it back outside and let nature take its course, which would have meant a slow, potentially painful death for that groundhog. The next vet said that there was nothing wrong with the groundhog that, again, just put it out, but there was no injuries. Well, when that groundhog came to me a few hours later, after she realized there was such a thing as a wildlife rehabilitator, the groundhog was, um, when he would urinate, it was solid blood that would come out. And that just kind of flabbergasted me that any vet would say that this groundhog had no issues. But he was unable to walk and had some type of internal injury due to the blood, and we were able to successfully get him back out into the wild. 
Now, I say we successfully released him back out into the wild, but here's the funny part. So, Second Chances was originally started on um, by 10 acres, and this groundhog was one of the only few animals to release itself. I was checking on it and going from a groundhog that could not walk and had near zero mobility. He ended up chewing his way out of the cage. And my son was in the backyard um, just kind of messing around. And I had to ask him, did you by any chance see a groundhog out back? And he said, well, yeah, I did. It just ran past me about a half hour ago. So then I knew, okay, if he's running past him, um, he's going back to the backwoods and he's made his full recovery. He was, it was time for him to go. And we have any idea where he is now? Oh, I'm sure he's living a lovely groundhog life, um, probably out back. There's a creek that used to be on the property and farmland all around. There was plenty of room for him to roam and not even get close to human contact. Fantastic. And I noticed a groundhog on the front of some of the t-shirts that you have in the gift shop. Is that the same groundhog as the story is about? It is not the same groundhog. So the groundhog that is on our shirts, his name is Major. And Major came in with two other siblings and they came in as very tiny babies. Their little eyes were still sealed closed. They came in because they were literally bulldozed over due to a new housing development coming up. His other two siblings had been released to the wild, and Major stuck around for educational purposes. Okay, so Major is one of the mascots of the of the center, is that correct? Uh, Major has a lot of fans. Uh, Major has a very funny personality. He's full of character. He's very stubborn, and he pretty much rules the roost here, and we just work for him. Very good. Go Major. And I know you have an event happening tomorrow, actually, uh, being on Saturday. Tell us a little bit about that event to give us an idea of the kinds of things that you're doing from a give back point of view. Sure. Um, You asked earlier one of our biggest challenges, and besides the animals, our greatest challenge is to get funding so we can indeed continue our mission of the rehabilitation of wildlife. So without funding, there's no saving of animals. So it is important that we have these various events. And we have a couple coming up. The first one that you're referring to is called an awesome possum pizza party. So people can come in and enjoy some pizza and some drinks. We will have our live education ambassador there. Her name is Steffi. So people can see an opossum up close. They can learn all the wonderful benefits of opossums. And our next event following that is our annual wildlife baby shower. This is the only time of year that we open up our medical treatment center for the animals so the public can see. We will have plenty of various species of babies in here. And the idea is that people can come shower our babies with gifts. Things might be paper towels or Clorox wipes. I'm sure the babies are very appreciative of those. That is absolutely fantastic. And the education piece of it is is absolutely amazing. So interesting, the way that I actually found out about the center is I had a link to a video sent to me because you rescued a little beaver, Justin Beaver, I think you've called uh, him now. And that was uh, piqued my interest as the Drift mm-hmm. and Hum community has, has a fascination with the large rodent, the beaver. Yes. And um, so tell us a little bit about Justin Beaver. Okay. Justin Beaver 
is a very, very cute animal who does not belong indoors. He is temporarily at my house while we raise funds to build him an outdoor pond and enclosure of his own. Plus, JB, as we call him, came in as a small baby, so he was still being bottle-fed. And beavers have a very, very close-knit family unit, and it was important that he had a family unit. So I did provide him with a family unit indoors, and now it's time for him to be moving along. He enjoys chewing up my house and has done about $400 worth of damage so far. That include, well, actually, probably more than that because he has now taken a liking to my antique furniture. Before that, it was just drywall and baseboards and doors. So he needs to get outside. And will his pond be here on your 22 acres at the center? It will be. And we're working on some plans and some funding now. He'll have access to a sheltered place outside and he will have access to the water anytime. Obviously, beavers are semi-aquatic animals. They need water. They go to the bathroom in water, and they drink water from their pond. They don't really drink from bowls. So in order to fulfill these needs temporarily, JB has an option of getting in my bathtub about five times a day. Excellent. That's uh, that's the beaver for you. And you mentioned that he's done some damage to your house. Now, does this have something to do with him actually trying to build a dam in your living room? Or I caught <laughs> something on the video. Well, he does both. He just chews because that is a requirement for rodents. Their teeth are ever growing. So in order for him to file his teeth and keep them at a, um, a safe size, he does need to chew on some wood. Um, it's just a nonstop thing. Even the wood that I offer him, he still likes my baseboards. The building of the dams is just an instinct that beavers have. You cannot take that away. He might not be building a dam out of wood. He's choosing whatever he can find around the house. That might be stuffed animals. That might be my shoes. It might be a laptop case. Whatever he can find, he makes good use of. Rug, area rugs, front door mats. He uses it all, and he's perfecting his technique as well. That's those beavers. I'm telling you, you just can't uh, hold them back. They're an incredible uh, little animal. Well, Bridget, this is absolutely fantastic and a really important story that matters because of the things that you're doing here and the education piece, not to mention the rehabilitation of the animals themselves. And I, and I know enough about these things that you're not doing this unless you're absolutely driven by passion. And these types of centers are have some challenges to make sure that they can keep running and, and all of the expenses that you have in order to, to give back to the community, uh, the local community and the community at large. So most importantly here, how can people help? What can people do to get Second Chances Wildlife Center uh, that some of the help that it needs? I really appreciate you asking that. That is very true. We hope that we are always there for our community, and in order for us to be there for our community, we do ask for our community support as well. Um, everything that anyone needs as far as the type of donations is listed on our website. We, of course, are hugely appreciative of any monetary donation. We put that towards veterinary visits, baby formula, food in general. And if people might not be able to afford very much monetarily, it does still make a difference, no matter how big or small. There's also online wish list if people prefer material items such as Clorox wipes or 
baby wipes, some of the things that we go through on a regular basis. But everything is greatly appreciated, and it's on our website. And remind us the website and the Facebook page or any other social media that people can connect to? Yes. If people just get to our website, they can get anywhere else they want to find us, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And our website address is second, spelled out, secondchanceswildlife.org. Bridgette, thank you so much for your time. And I'm going to continue to follow up to see how Justin Beaver is doing. And I have no doubt that his dam building skills will be second to none. And at some point, you may need to determine what you're going to do with all the water that's on your property here Uh, but maybe that will be a good problem to have. So That's thank right. you so much, and good luck with everything, and we'll continue to uh, stay in touch with you. Well, thank you so much, Robert. I appreciate the you being here. Fox is out. He roams about. The squirrels climb high for a view. The forest belongs to the rambling raccoon. And the nighttime Well, friends, we have come to the end of our podcast today, so thank you very much for your time. A huge thanks to Brigitte Brouillard for her passion and important work at the Second Chance Wildlife Center. Please check it out. Help if you can, and let's send positive vibes to Justin Beaver as he gets to build his new home. Our song today, called The Night Time Belongs to You, is written and performed by Barefoot McCoy. Check him out at gemendo.com. In addition, the acoustic background riff during the poem is performed by my friend and very talented musician, Brad Bosens. I would like to thank my youngest daughter, Abby, for her continued support in the reading of the poems for this podcast. And last, I would like to thank my oldest daughter, Emily, for spending her spring break with me this year. I fully recognize that at a certain age, kids can think of better things to do than hang out with their dad. These stories truly are the good stuff, folks. These are the stories that matter. These are the stories that can change the dialogue in our world. So until we talk again, make sure you take time, friends. Take some time to drift and hum. When the night time belongs to you Oh, the night time belongs to you